Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Are you who you want to be? When you look at your life and you examine the person that you are becoming, are you happy with what you see? If I'm honest with you, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed with what I see. I'm hitting the middle years of my life, and as I get closer to that middle year, I find myself reflecting a lot more than I did when I was younger. And as I reflect, I sometimes get this nagging sense that things are not quite as they should be, that I am not quite who I should be, and I'm disappointed. Now, some of this disappointment is trivial. It's little things like, I'm disappointed that I can't read Hebrew and Greek fluently. Disappoints me. I'm not quite the scholar that I imagined myself becoming when I was in college. I'm disappointed that my physique is not quite as defined as it could be. You know, my body looks a lot more like Kevin James than it does LeBron James. (laughs) I'm disappointed that my basketball skills never live up to how I imagine them in my own head. It seems like I'm on the decline of my basketball skills without ever hitting the peak. Little things. But some of my disappointment runs deeper. I think about the type of father I want to be. A father who creates magical moments for his daughters. A father who reads to them every night and whose stories fill them up with laughter so much that it feels like their hearts are going to burst. A father who savors every moment and always surrounds them with love. And sometimes, sometimes I am that father. But other times, I walk into their room at night after they've fallen asleep. And I remember how the day really went. I remember how my daughter spilled her juice at dinner. And I yelled at her like she had revealed some deep character flaw. I yelled at her even though nobody yells at me when I spill my juice. I remember how at night, instead of savoring the moment, I just rushed and sent them off to bed so that I could have a few more minutes to myself. I remember, and I'm disappointed. Do you ever feel this way? Do you ever wish that you could be better, that you could be a better version of yourself, 
Do you ever wish that, that, that you could overcome this nagging sense that things are not quite as they should be, that you are not quite as you should be? Do you ever disappoint yourself? If you do, there is hope. You do not have to live with disappointment. Because there is a way to become the better version of ourselves. There is a way to live the life that we were meant to live. And all it takes is one simple step. And what we're going to find out is that this is the key step in following Jesus well. But I have to warn you that this step, while it may be simple, is far from easy because it involves a change in our hearts. And so everything we're going to talk about in this series, all the different holy habits that we'll be learning about are all geared to help us to make this heart change, to take this key step. It's kind of like, it's kind of like cardio. Anybody here perform cardiovascular exercise? Anybody here wish they performed more cardiovascular exercise? <laughs> yeah. You know, you can do cardio in a lot of different ways. You can run, you can do kickbox cardio, you can swim. But the goal is always the same. The goal is to maintain a target heart rate. That's the goal, to maintain a target heart rate. To maintain a heart rate where transformation can occur. Because when you stay at that heart rate, your body can grow and change. And so all the exercises that we perform, they're just tools that help us to achieve that heart rate. What is true of physical exercise is also true of spiritual exercise. See, spiritual exercises, the holy habits that we develop, are all geared to help us to maintain a target heart state. A heart state that gives God access to our lives. A heart state that allows God to transform our lives. So what is it? What is this heart state at which transformation happens? What is the heart state where we, be, we can become the best version of ourselves? What is the heart state where we can truly start to follow Jesus well? What is it? The answer is found in Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up. You can grab the Bible in front of you, open it up, turn them on. Flip over to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 24. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples about what it takes to be a disciple, to follow him well. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. The Bible reads, Then Jesus said to his disciples. I want you to focus for a moment on that word, then. Because it tells us that what Jesus says next is connected to what happened before. So to understand what he's saying next, you have to know what happened before. So what happened before? 
Well, if you look, if you scan in your Bibles a few verses back, you'll see that Jesus had just revealed to his disciples what the future holds for him. And it's not what the disciples expected to hear. Jesus tells them that he's going to go to Jerusalem where he will be captured, condemned, falsely accused, and then crucified. He tells them that. And Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter is understandably shocked. So he looks at Jesus and immediately says to him, "Uh uh-uh, that is never going to happen to you. Right? Check it out. It says in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. See, Peter loves Jesus. So he can't imagine how allowing Jesus to go through such a horrible ordeal could possibly, possibly be any good. He can't imagine how allowing Jesus to undergo such a brutal experience, the defamation of his character, the uh, being beaten until an inch of his life, being forced to carry his own cross to his execution while people yell at him and curse at him and spit on him. He can't imagine how allowing Jesus to go through this could possibly be any good, how it could possibly be a part of God's plan. Peter can't accept it. See, For Peter, Jesus' death didn't only mean the loss of a friend. It meant the loss of his future. See, there had been times when Peter was with Jesus where it had been challenging. But for the most part, for the most part, it was an amazing opportunity, an incredible opportunity. See, Jesus was a rabbi. And in Jewish culture, the rabbis were the superstars. They're kind of like, they're kind of like the, the, the famous celebrities of our age. They had followings that followed them wherever they went. And Jesus was the most popular rabbi. So when Jesus called Peter, he had changed Peter's life. He had taken him from being an insignificant fisherman to an influential member of Jesus' inner circle. It's like, if, it's like if Warren Buffett, billionaire investor, came up to you and asked you to be his chief advisor. It's like if Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, asked you to be his vice president. Or even better, it's like if Randy Roberts, preacher extraordinaire, asked you to be his personal advisor. It was a chance of a lifetime. And Jesus wasn't just any rabbi. Jesus had power. He could make the lame men walk and the blind men see. He spoke and the storms stilled and the dead arose. And Peter hadn't just witnessed Jesus' power. He had wielded it. He had walked on water. He had healed the sick. He had spoken, and thousands of people had been waiting intently to listen to his words of wisdom. Jesus had changed Peter's life. He had taken him from anonymity to acclaim, from insignificance 
to importance, from powerlessness to powerfulness. And Peter believed that the best was yet to come. See, the disciples, including Peter, believed that as the Messiah of the Jewish people, that Jesus would establish a kingdom here on earth. He would establish a kingdom on earth, and they would rule right alongside of him. See, Peter had a dream for his life. The problem was, it wasn't a part of Jesus' design. It wasn't a part of Jesus' plan for his life. Let me ask you, what do you do when what you want doesn't follow God's will? What Peter did was he tried to impose his will on Jesus' way. Let me ask you, have you ever done that? Have you ever imposed your will on God's way? Have you ever been so enamored with something that you couldn't imagine how your life could continue without it? Have you ever wanted something so badly, wanted someone so badly that you're willing to do almost anything to get it? If you have, then maybe you can understand a little bit of what Peter was feeling when Jesus tells him that his dreams are not a part of Jesus' design. Jesus says this to Peter. He says in verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. I loved how you read that during the scripture reading. Get behind me, Satan. It's a little bit harsh, right? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Don't mince your words, Jesus. But then what he says next explains why he's being so harsh to Peter. See, Jesus understood the impulse, the innate desire that drove Peter's response and that often drives our response when God's will contradicts our way. And he understood that that impulse is so dangerous. That impulse is the single greatest barrier to us experiencing the life we were meant to live. It is the single greatest barrier for, to us following Jesus well. So what is it? What is this barrier? He says to him, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, the single greatest barrier to us following Jesus well the single greatest barrier to us experiencing the life we were meant to live and becoming the best version of ourselves is our obsession with what we want. See, sometimes we are so distracted by what we want that we can't see what God wills. We're so distracted by what we want that we can't see what God's plans are in for us. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, to the beginning of humanity, this is what causes the very first sin. Adam and Eve, they eat of the forbidden fruit because they are so distracted by what they wanted that they couldn't see what God willed. It is the single greatest barrier 
that keeps us from following Jesus well and experiencing the life we were meant to live. We are distracted by what we want, that we can't see what God wills, which sets up what Jesus says in verse 24. In verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, so after he talks to Peter, he tells Peter, warns him about this great barrier. He says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He says, If you want to walk my way, if you want your future to intertwine with mine, If you want to be my disciple, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's what it takes to follow Jesus. That's what it takes to be his disciple. That's what it takes to take on his identity and call yourself a Christian. You must, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This this isn't me speaking. This is Jesus speaking. So let's break that down for a moment. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Saying to Peter, Peter, you know all those hopes and dreams that you have about the future? Your plans that I will set up an earthly kingdom and you will rule at my right hand. You know those dreams? If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you have to let those dreams go. You have to deny yourself. And then take up your cross. You know, crucifixion was the worst form of executions that the Romans devised. And that's why it was reserved for second-class citizens who had done heinous crimes. So if you were crucified, you were seen as the worst kind of criminal. So when Jesus comes up to the disciples and tells them that they must take up the cross, they didn't see this as some noble gesture that would be honored by by future generations. Now, they saw this as the worst possible outcome to their life, the worst possible end that they could imagine. They saw Jesus calling them to follow him, even if it led to humiliation and no honor, to death in the worst possible way imaginable. Jesus says you must deny yourself, take up your cross, And follow me. Follow me. Because you are not the leader of your life. You are not the ruler of your existence. So if you want to walk my way, you have to follow my will. Even if it means that you lose out on your dreams. Even if it means the most humiliating death possible. Follow me. Now, the word that I would use if I were to encapsulate all of this into a single word, the word that I would use is the word surrender. Surrender. Surrender is the Bible's word for giving God control of our lives. Surrender means that I submit my will to God's way. Surrender means that I submit my will to God's way. And what Jesus is saying is that if you want your future to intertwine with mine, if you want 
to follow my way. If you, if you want to be my disciple, this is Jesus speaking, not me. You must be willing to submit your will to my way. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, because it's probably what the disciples were thinking, which is, why would I do that, right? I mean, if following you means that I have to die on the cross, thanks, Jesus, but no thanks. If following you means dying in the worst humiliating way possible, if following you means that I might have to miss out on my own dreams and my own plans for the future, then why would anybody follow you? To which Jesus responds, verse 25, says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life or surrenders control of their life for me will find it. Jesus is saying, if you want to find your life, you have to be willing to lose it. If you want to save your life, you have to be willing to surrender it. If you, want to exp- you, if you want to overcome your addictions and your, your, your bad habits and you want to become the best version of you, if you want to live the life that you were meant to live, then you must submit your will to my way. Surrender. Surrender. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And I know that sounds strange, but we receive power to do what we cannot do on our own through surrender. And that's why surrender is at the heart of all the 12-step programs. Are you familiar with the 12-step programs? Like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. See, one of the greatest discoveries of Alcoholics Anonymous is that if an addict tries to control their addictions through their own willpower, they are doomed to failure. They're doomed to fail. But if they recognize their helplessness and surrender the control of their their life, they put their dependence on a higher source, then they are given the power to do what they could not do themselves. It's amazing. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they never encourage the person to try really, really hard not to drink. You can look at the 12 steps. It's not there. Try really, really hard not to. They don't even ask you to decide not to drink. It's incredible. This program, which has brought freedom from addiction for so many people, never once asks its people to stop doing the thing that is destroying their lives. Instead of mobilizing their will against the addiction, instead they call their followers to surrender their will. And in surrendering their will, they are able to overcome. See, surrender, which so many of us think of as a means of defeat, turns out to be the only means of victory. Because victory begins with surrender. Let me say that again. Victory begins with surrender. When we submit our will, 
We are given the power to do the thing that we could not do on our own. And that's what holy habits are all about. The holy habits are just spiritual exercises that enable us to train wisely, enable us to train our hearts to surrender ourselves to God. The holy habits, these spiritual exercises are just there to help us to to surrender control, to submit control of our lives to God's hands so that he can give us the power to have victory, to overcome. That's what they're all about. See, surrender is the heart state where transformation happens. Surrender is the heart state where transformation happens. It's it's possible to become the best version of yourself. It's possible to live the life you were meant to live, but only if you are willing to surrender. And the more often we engage in these holy habits, the more God is able to transform our lives. Anybody here ever run a marathon before? Any marathon runners? It's great. I'm told that anybody can run a marathon. I don't know for sure because I've never run one. But I'm told that anybody can run a marathon if you train for it. If you train for it. See, if I were to get up tomorrow morning and decide to run the 26.219 miles, which is a long way, if I were to decide to run those miles, I would fail and fail spectacularly. Even, even if I tried really, 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 really hard to do it. Because there is only so far my willpower can carry me. But if I started training for it, if I started to develop healthy habits, if I started to follow a running regimen and, and join the Loma Linda Lopers and, 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 and started eating a more healthy diet, then I could not only finish the marathon, I could probably finish before everyone else left. <laughs> See, training allows us to accomplish what trying alone can't. And that is true of any type of growth. Training allows us to accomplish what trying alone can't. See, when we engage in these holy habits, what they're doing is they're training us to surrender our lives to God in a way that he can transform our lives. Pastor and author John Ortberg, he puts it this way. He said, there is an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. You can't become the best version of yourself. You can't become the father you want to be, the child you want to be. You can't become the Christian you want to be just by trying really, really, really hard to do it. You can't but you can train for it. And we want to help you to train wisely. That's why for the next five weeks, we're going to be introducing you to these holy habits, these spiritual exercises that have helped Christians throughout the ages, Christians from the very beginning, 
develop a dependence on God, to help them surrender their lives to God. But the choice to begin, the choice to begin is completely up to you. The choice to begin is in your hands. So the question is, will you surrender in order to experience victory? Will you let go of the life you have to gain the life you want? In a moment, we're going to pray. And if, if you're like me, if you're just sick of, of living with disappointment, if you are sick of not being the parent you want to be, not being the, the person you want to be, not being the Christian you want to be, if you are willing to let go of the life you have, to have the life you want, if you're willing to say, Jesus, I want to begin surrendering my life to you, then this is what I want you to do. For those of you, for those of you who have yet to begin following Jesus, maybe you're here for the very first time today, or maybe you've been here before but been away for a while, but something has drawn you back. And you're just checking out this whole Christianity thing. You're just checking out what church is all about. If that's you, would you pursue that desire? That desire to learn more about this, about surrendering your life to God. Because that can be an opportunity to change your life. And when I pray, would you just say to God, God, I want to learn more about surrendering my life to you. For those of you who have been following Jesus, but for whatever reason, you've never committed to be baptized. You've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. If that is you, and you see that, that baptism is the next step in front of you, would you take that step today? And while we pray, would you just say to God, God, I want to be baptized and surrender my life to you. The third group I'd like to make an appeal to are those of us who have been following God and have been baptized, but we just want to make the most of our time with God. We want to make the most of our time with him. We want to stop trying harder and start training wiser. If that's you, would you just commit to following along this series and trying, try to develop these holy habits? And as we pray, would you just say, dear God, I want to regularly develop these holy habits so I can surrender my life fully to you. Would you make that commitment with me today? Would you, would you take that step today and say, I'm not going to wait till tomorrow or the next day or the next week, but today I want to begin letting go of the life I have so I can have the life I want. Let us pray. Dear God, we're sick and tired of living with disappointment, of not being the person that we want to be, not being the father or the mother or the 
child or Christian that we want to be. And so we're ready. We're ready to start surrendering our will to your way. We're ready to start letting go of the life we have so we can have the life we want. So today, we ask that you hear our words of commitment to you right now. You have heard our words. You have heard our prayers. You have heard the longing of our hearts. Now help us to commit fully to you and to follow through because we surrender all to you. Amen.